So the cool thing is a lot of my friends in Boulder were trail runners. So they're like, hey, you know, like maybe you should just try trail running. You don't even have to be fast at it. You could just try it. And I was like, I mean, I guess I could, but I mean, if I'm going to do it, like I want to do it well. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, just you'll see. It's going to be different. I mean, the first trailer run I went on, I was like, oh, this is really awesome. Like, you get to be in nature. This is awesome. I love this. And then I did start thinking, like, okay, so how do I get better at this? I think that's just kind of part of my personality, I guess. That's Corey Waltering. And this is episode 88 of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and this week's conversation is with Corey Waltering. Corey is a professional trail and ultra runner for the North Face. He's based in his hometown of Ottawa, Illinois, and he loves to race at a variety of distances and disciplines. The 29-year-old has run five hours and 30 minutes for 50 miles, and he's eyeing a golden ticket in the spring of 2020 with the hopes of getting back to the Western States Endurance Run next summer. We covered a lot of ground in this conversation from how Corey went from being a fast 400 and 800 meter runner in high school and college to qualifying for the half Ironman world championships as an amateur triathlete and eventually transitioning to becoming a competitive trail and ultra runner. What it's like being a gay black man in ultra running and endurance sports and how he's advocating for more diversity, why ultra distance races in the Midwest don't get the credit they deserve, how he got into coaching and who has influenced his philosophy along the way and a lot more. Okay, let's dive right in with Corey Waltering. And we're good to go. Corey Waltering, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So this past weekend was North Face Endurance Challenge Championships here in the Marin Headlands. You came in along with your sponsor, the North Face. You ran the marathon on Sunday Tell me a little bit about this past weekend and sort of where it fits into your year as a whole. Yeah, uh, this past weekend was actually really fun running the marathon. It is the first finish line that I've seen in a while, so I'm actually pretty happy about that. But, um, you know, it's just it's a great event to kind of test the fitness and uh, build a little bit more towards later this year, although I guess the year is kind of... <laughs> almost over. Well, we'll get into what you're going to be up to the rest of this year. But one thing I'd like to dig into from what you just said is it was your first finish line in a while. Why is that the case? Um, So earlier this summer, I was out at Broken Arrow and I passed out after the vertical kilometer. Um, And so I basically had to take like four or five weeks off running as they're doing a bunch of tests and um, blood work and stuff. And everything came back totally fine. Like I'm good to go. Uh, But I just wasn't able to run. So... I haven't really been able to race a lot that uh, the second half of this year, and yeah. What happened? Um, I don't know. I really don't. Uh, I just felt off during the vertical kilometer, um, and then went throughout the day. Just everything seemed like it was fine, and then after dinner, I started feeling a little bit weird, and I'm like, hmm, like, what's happening, you know, and... I was getting up and I was going to go do some foam rolling and I got like this pain in my chest and a pain in my back and like dizziness and shortness of breath uh, and passed out. Were you by yourself? or yeah, by myself. Passed out. Um, when I came to, I called an Uber and took myself to the ER. Oh man, uh, that is quite an experience. Yeah. And in the ER, they're just like, you know, everything seems like it's fine. They're like, your EKG is good. Your blood work's good. Like everything is coming back fine. Have you ever had any issues in the past? Never. Nothing like that. Mm-mm. Did it spook you at all? Uh, yeah. Like I thought I had a heart attack. So, I mean, I, I'm too, I can't say that I'm too young to have a heart attack, but you wouldn't think that I'd be having one. So, uh, it was pretty freaky. Well, no, for, I mean, a healthy male in his late twenties, that isn't something that you would expect, but it's certainly happened. I've seen it happen yeah. before and it is pretty frightening. When you did get back into running, did it feel like you were on eggshells for a little bit? Um, I just really didn't have time to like fully come back into running in like a, in a, probably a productive or smart way, just because I still had Eco Challenge Fiji, uh, coming up. So I basically went from no running to having to be able to get back into a place where I should be able to run about a hundred kilometers, um, along with mountain biking, rock climbing, all kinds of other stuff. So I really haven't been focused on running for a while. 
What did you do or what have you been doing in the interim? Um, yeah, so I mean, I took up a little bit of climbing. Um, they let me start mountain biking like three weeks after I was in the ER. They're like, you know, you can, you can mountain bike. Um, did a lot of paddling, kayaking, stuff like that, just to try to uh, just keep some fitness, basically. Um, but those are all things that I was also going to have to be doing for Eco Challenge. So I guess it was kind of a good thing in a way. I mean, it made me focus on things I'm just not as strong at. You're at a point of your career where you're able to do this on a professional level and focus a lot of your energy into it. When you go through a scary incident like you did after the VK at Broken Arrow, did you start to worry that I might not be able to do this anymore? This is going to be taken away from me. Is any of those Were any of those thoughts going through your head at the time? Yeah, I definitely had some of those thoughts. I mean, just the process of seeing cardiologists once I got back to town and everything, it just kept taking time. And so I'm like, this is just time that I don't have. And at that point, I still wanted to run Leadville that summer. Uh, well, I should say this summer. So um, I was like, oh, I really need to be running. I need to be going to do these things. And yet I can't. And it was a little bit stressful, you know, just to, to not be able to do what you love to do. And then I thought about it. I'm like, what if I actually have something wrong where I can't run anymore. Um, and that just was not necessarily a fun feeling. What would you do if you didn't have running anymore? Do you think you've got enough other stuff going on that you'd be able to find a healthy balance and still be involved in the sport without actually competing? Or is that not crossed your mind at all? Yeah, I think that I'd focus more on coaching. Um, and then I, I really don't know what I'd I think I'd try to still like walk some ultras or hike them or something like I'd, I'd go the still, tracing route. Yep. A- absolutely. Like I just, I'd still want to be out there. This past weekend when you were running the marathon at North face, I imagine that was your first race since the VK at broken arrow. Any hesitations at all while you were out there? Any feelings of worry or was it just excitement that you were able to get back out on the course again and be a part of the community? Um, so this is not my first race since Broken Arrow, um, but it was nice to go out there for the marathon and know like, Hey, I'm healthy enough to be able to run 26 miles at a time and just really enjoy it. Um, and the trails are awesome. The people out here are awesome. So it was just, it was fun. Um, yeah. Looking ahead to the rest of the year, you're going to be heading to Peru, I believe a week or so from now, maybe a little bit over a week. You're going to run the half marathon. Half, I guess it is a half marathon yeah. to saw, but it's not a marathon. It's like you were telling me it was like 30K, 65K, like 35K. To my knowledge, you haven't done any stage racing before. What was it about that event that's appealing to you? Yeah, this will be my first like official stage race. So I'm really excited for that. Um, I think it's just going back to Peru is kind of what was drawing me in as like, what do I have left in the travel budget and where could I go? That's going to be a cool experience. And then I found this race and I was like, Hmm, that actually sounds really exciting. Um, and so, yeah, just the people in the culture. You race a lot or tend to race mm-hmm. a lot. What is it about racing that's appealing to you? Um, honestly, racing is fun for me anyway. I think it, racing is just extremely fun. Uh, I like being around the different people that I get to meet when I'm racing and just the different places I get to go. So, um, probably a mixture of all of that. Um, but I mean, I even love racing close to home though. I mean, just, you know, racing on trails that, you know, it, that's fun. When you're racing a number of times a year, like you are, how do you prioritize different events? Um, Because you can't go flat out and everything, especially when half of those races or at least half of them are going to be ultra distance or more. Totally. Um, So I kind of like to race myself back into shape. Um, And so the first couple of races of any buildup are kind of just, you know, testers getting back out there, time on feet. Um, And then I'll really have like a bigger race that's kind of the goal. So you're 29 years old. You're running for the North Face at mostly ultra distance races. Looking back, say, 10 years to when you were just out of high school, did you ever envision that you would be here at this point in your life? Uh, This is definitely not what I thought I'd be doing. Um, I didn't even know what ultras were when I was in high school, and I thought the marathon was crazy. So to now be running at this level and and racing, you know, 100 miles at a time just seems nuts to me still. Talk to me a little bit about your progression in the sport. What was your introduction to running, whether competitive or at a recreational level? 
Um, well, I guess my introduction to running would have been like my first grade kindergarten teacher or something that was like, hey, you know, you have a lot of energy, but I don't think you could run a mile. So, um, let's see if you can. And then they're like, I don't think you can do it in under 20 minutes. So I did my first one. It was like, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes or something. And then from there it was like, I just wanted to kind of keep getting better, even though I was too young for even like a track team or anything like that. What was the first track team or competitive environment that you found yourself in? Uh, Our fifth and sixth grade track meets. um, We had them every year and it was one of those things where they do like one every year. And so you basically figure out what you're going to run in like gym class and then they uh, put the meet on like sometime in May and everyone gets told like, you're going to run the 200, you're going to run the 400, you're going to do this or that. Um, And as I was running like the 100, the 200, the 400 back in like fifth and sixth grade. Um, And after that, I just wasn't very good at the longer stuff. So that's why they made me do it. So you thought of yourself more as a sprinter than anything else? Absolutely. What was your best event going into high school? Hmm. Probably the 400, maybe the 800. What kind of times are you running in the 4 and the 8? Um, in high school, I was running like 51, 52 for the 400. So you had some wheels. Yeah. Um, 51, 52 for the 400 and like 156, 157 for the 800. I wonder how many low 52nd quarter milers are running ultras today. I could think of a couple of them off the top of my head, but that is not a transition that you see all that often. Yeah. Um, it's definitely different. Um, and honestly, like I had no idea what ultras were back then. And if I would have, I don't think I would have been interested. (laughs) At what point of your high school running career did you realize you wanted to continue with it into college? Um, I don't know that I actually did. I wanted to play soccer uh, in college, and I got two concussions my senior year. And so the doctor basically said, like, hey, you can't play soccer next year. And did you end up joining the track team instead, or how did that process play out? Yeah, so then I just continued to run, um, and that's uh, just, yeah. And what was your development like in college as an athlete? Um, Still kept getting a little bit faster in the 400, faster in the 800. Um, And then in Division Three, we run eight kilometers for cross country. So um, I ran cross country all four years of college and uh, was still running, you know, 400, 800, 1500 on the track. Um, And I can't say that I loved cross country. Um, And the reason I didn't like it is because it wasn't something that you could control. Like a track, you know, it's always 400 meters and you stay in your lane or you don't stay in your lane depending on the event. But like, it's something that was super easy to like visualize. Whereas cross country, I'm like, I don't know this golf course we're going to, or I don't know this park we're going to. Too much unpredictability. Mm -hmm. And so I just didn't, I didn't enjoy it. When you came to the end of your collegiate career, did you know that you wanted to continue running in some capacity? Um, a little bit. Um, I was actually kind of focused on triathlon at that point. Okay. Um, that for me seemed like a, a rabbit hole to go down for a while anyway. And, um, I did. So I focused on the half Ironman for a while. And did you start doing triathlons while you were in college or did that happen shortly after you got out? Um, I started triathlon while I was in college, um, usually sprint distance, Olympic distance. Um, but then I did my first half Ironman, my senior year of college. What was the impetus for jumping into triathlon? Um, it was just kind of like a a fun transition, I guess. And, um, I got injured a lot, like lots of stress fractures. So I still had to swim. Um, and I had a bike. So I'm like, you know, this kind of makes sense. Like I'm already running, I'm already swimming. Like, let's just focus on it for a while. What were the sources of some of your injuries or what do you think the sources of some of your injuries were throughout college? Um, the lack of proper training for my level, I should say, uh, because I came from a program that was very low mileage in junior high, high school. Um, and then in college, I went from like running 20 miles a week to just going straight into like 40 to 60 miles a week and then even getting up into the eighties sometimes. And that was just way too much for me. Has running for you always been a competitive pursuit? Um, I would say so. Yeah. I'd say it's competitive, although I like, I really enjoy just going out on the trails and spending time out there, but yeah, competitive. When you got into triathlon, were you looking at that as a competitive outlet as much as it was putting together all these cross-training elements that you were while you were injured and just trying to have an outlet in that way? 
Yeah, I think that uh, from, well, I actually moved from Illinois to Boulder for a little while, hoping that I could become a professional triathlete. Um, I had qualified for the half Ironman world championships twice. And so I was like, this could be something I really want to focus on. Um, and then I just, I got mono like a month after moving to Boulder, just from just, you know, basically working too hard, um, and just gave it up. So when you just quit triathlon cold Turkey at that point, yep. Um, which is funny because it's like I had moved to Boulder and like the specific reason for moving to Boulder was to focus on triathlon. So here I am, you know, in Boulder, like I'm not racing, I'm not focusing on my sport. Like I was too sick to even do anything. Um, and it was just, yeah, cold Turkey. How Didn't, long had you been there at that point? Uh, a couple months. Did you start feeling lonely? Did you want to go back home there? I'd love to just get into your headspace a little bit. Um, no, it was more, I luckily had a good friend group in Boulder. Like, even though I'd only been there for a couple months, I at least had some very solid friends. Um, but it was like, I just didn't necessarily know what to do. Um, because I'm like, yeah, I, I really still kind of want to focus on this and try to make it work so I could like justify the move to Boulder yet I had no desire to even touch my bike. And so I think after Worlds, I flew home and like it stayed in the bike box for probably six months. And what were you doing since you weren't putting your time and energy into training at that point? Um, not a lot. I was working at a running shop for a little bit and then um, that's about all I was doing. I'd love to learn how you went from that. So high school, collegiate, track as a sprinter, you're injured, takes you into triathlon, you go through this period of being a competitive triathlete, you want to be at a professional level, but I mean, essentially burned yourself out on it, are forced to take this chunk of time off, and now you're known as a pretty competitive trail and ultra runner. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a very interesting uh, runaround there, I guess. Um, so the cool thing is, um, a lot of my friends in Boulder were trail runners. So they're like, Hey, you know, like maybe you should just try trail running. You don't even have to be fast at it. You could just try it. And I was like, I mean, I guess I could, but I mean, if I'm going to do it, like I want to do it well, they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, just, you'll see, it's going to be different. So you weren't interested in just getting on the trail and going out to enjoy nature. You're still thinking about it as a competitive thing, kind of. Yeah, I mean, the first trail run I went on, I was like, oh, this is really awesome. Like, you get to be in nature. This is awesome. I love this. And then I did start thinking, like, okay, so how do I get better at this? Um, I think that's just kind of part of my personality, I guess. Okay, and take me forward from there. So you go out on trail run with some friends. How does the momentum start to build and snowball? Yeah, so go on my first trail run. Uh, absolutely loved it. And then one of my friends is like, Hey, you know, like I need a pacer, uh, for Leadville. I was like, I don't know what Leadville is or <laughs> where it's at. And I also don't know what being a pacer means, but sure. He's like, great. So now we're going to start trail running more and you're going to build into it. And like, he's like, I'll explain it all to you over the course of the next couple months. So, um, I went to Leadville and paced my friend for the hundred. Um, I only ran like maybe 12 miles of the course. So basically back over Hope Pass and down into Twin Lakes. And that's, I'm like, I absolutely love this. What was it about that experience that you loved? Uh, just watching everyone just basically finish, you know, from people that are running 15 hours at Leadville to people that are going to be out there for all 30 hours and just seeing like how happy they were out on the trail and, um, going over Hope Pass is still just amazing. So that experience definitely lit a spark for you. Yeah. And that's where I was like, I, I really want to do this. So, um, I was actually going to sign up for the Leadman series that next year, because at that point I was like, you know, this would be one thing that could potentially get me back on a bike. Can you explain to our listeners what the Lead Man series is? Yeah, the Lead Man series is pretty awesome, in my opinion. It's uh, the trail marathon in June, and then you can pick between the Silver Rush 50-mile bike or the run, uh, or you can do them both if you really want to. Um, and then it's the Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike race, followed by the 10K run the next day, and then a week later is the... Uh, hundred mile run. What was it about possibly being able to get back on the bike 
about that series that was appealing to you in addition to this newfound love for trail running? Yeah, I think that mountain biking would just, for me anyway, it's more of a way to experience nature and just see more of it in a sh- basically in a shorter amount of time. Um, and I, like, I don't know, I don't find cycling as something that I like to do competitively, but I'll actually go out and ride just to ride every once in a while now. So I think that that was kind of like my way of saying I want to get into this but I don't know if I'm going to be good at it. So if I can throw like mountain biking in there also, then it keeps it like less competitive for me. Has having that kind of variety in your program, even now where you're focused primarily on running, always been important to you? Um, I think so, which for a while I got into like this rut, well, not a rut, but just like so focused on running that I would only run um, and I wouldn't ride. I wouldn't swim. I wouldn't do like, I wouldn't even go out and play like, you know, backyard games with people. Cause I'm like, Oh, what if I break my ankle, you know, playing bocce ball. And so, um, yeah, I, variety is good. Hey, we're taking a quick break because I want to tell you about our sponsor for this episode. It's my friends at Tracksmith. Tracksmith is a Boston based running brand led by a group of runners who are dedicated to building classically stylish cutting edge running apparel for real world athletes. Tracksmith's products are designed to solve the problems that are unique to the experience of amateur training and racing, whether that's building the perfect pair of tights for chilly New England long runs or making split shorts that are just the right weight and with the right number of pockets for a marathon, Tracksmith designers sweat the details. That also means they only work with the finest materials from soft and wicking merino wool in their base layers to water repellent four-way stretch dry skin in their bislet pants. Whether you're training through the depths of winter or you need a special race day outfit to help power your next PR, Tracksmith has you covered. I personally own a ton of Tracksmith gear and I train and race in it all the time, including earlier this month at the New York City Marathon. This Black Friday, November 29th through Cyber Monday, that's December 2nd, you can reap the rewards at tracksmith.com. Spend $125 and you'll receive 10% off your next order. Spend $250 to receive 20% off your next order. And spend $500 and you will get 30% off your next order. You can learn more at tracksmith.com slash holiday. That's tracksmith.com slash holiday. And you can follow them on Instagram at tracksmithrunning and shop at tracksmith.com. My thanks to Tracksmith for their support of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show. You spend a good chunk of your working time now coaching other runners, and I do want to get into that later in this conversation, but how has your background as a triathlete and someone who's dabbled in a lot of different sports, you know, sprinting early on, eventually long distance running, some triathlon, mountain biking, climbing, influenced your perspective as a coach and how you program for your athletes? Yeah. Um, for me, I would say that it has shown that variety is a great way to keep things fresh and kind of, uh, help prevent the burnout, uh, the burnout factor of it. Um, and so with my athletes, I get many people that are coming from like triathlon background to ultra running, or maybe people that are going from, um, ultra running or just road running to, uh, triathlon. And so it's, uh, it's kind of a interesting mix, I guess. And I really enjoy that. And so I think that's pretty cool. One thing we haven't got into yet is where you're from, grew up and live now. Ottawa, Illinois, Mm -hmm. it's 80 ish miles outside of Chicago. Tell me a little bit about your town. Yeah. It's a town of about 22,000 people. Um, it's, it, is bigger than it seems, I guess. Um, cause to me it still feels pretty small. Um, and when I was growing up, I think we were only maybe 17,000 people or so. So there has been quite a bit of growth over the last few years. Um, but yeah, it's just a town in the middle of cornfields, but not exactly a hub for long distance running or endurance sports. No, uh, we do have a marathon though. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we're not necessarily an endurance sports you got away for a little while in college, and as you just explained, you went to Colorado. What brought you back home? Um, so basically, I moved back home when I was engaged and got married. So uh, actually, I guess I had been engaged and then moved back home and then got married um, a few months later. And your husband is also from Ottawa, mm-hmm. Illinois. Did you guys meet before you went out to Colorado, or how did that all play out? 
Yeah, we did meet um, right before I went out to Colorado, actually. So it was funny because uh, he had been living in Colorado and then had moved back to Ottawa as I was moving to Colorado. Um, And so it's just funny because he was there for like 13 years or something. And I'm like, hmm, well, if he wouldn't have moved back, then I guess we wouldn't have met. But then it was just really bad timing because I was just like, all right, I'm moving to Colorado. I know we've been talking, but you shouldn't talk to me anymore because I'm not moving back. So, um, (laughs) yeah. So what happened there? Uh, He still kept talking to me anyway, and um, we dated long distance for a long time, about a, say probably about a year, I guess. Um, And I'd just fly back and forth between Denver and uh, Chicago um, a couple times a month or whatever for a while. And now Ottawa is going to be home for the foreseeable future, it sounds like. Yeah. Yep. What is it like being an endurance athlete in a small town in Illinois where that's not what people typically do? Um, it's definitely interesting because you end up doing a lot of training by yourself. Um, or sometimes my husband will actually get out on the scooter or on the bike and just ride with me while I'm running a little bit. Um, but like, we just do not live close to that great of trails. So I do a lot of road running, a lot of just really flat runs. Um, I can run 20 miles and not gain more than 200 feet at times. So it's like, that's how flat it is. Um, but then I do have a group of friends that I meet up with either in Wisconsin or down in Peoria on like the Crimea river course and stuff. Um, but even to do that, I mean, that's still 75 to 90 minutes away. So it's just a lot of, you still have to travel to get to trails. A lot of endurance athletes will move to hubs like this one, Marin County, California, Colorado, kind of like you did early on in your career because those environments typically are more conducive to pursuing these sports, but you've also got to be in a place where you're happiest. How has that transition back to where you grew up, where your husband is also from been for you from that standpoint? Um, it's good that we are together and, um, you know, like obviously we get to see each other more now. Um, and our families are all there. So that, uh, that aspect of it is nice, but just the lack of trail, uh, can be difficult. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I've thought about moving places and we've thought about moving, but it just seems like Ottawa is going to be where we are for now. Um, Yeah. For you, I mean, you're a black man in endurance sports, which, well, ultra running, I should say, which puts you in the minority. Sure. And you're also a gay black man in endurance sports, which really puts you in a bit of a minority. Have you ever felt out of place in the endurance community or has it never been an issue for you? Uh, for me, I don't know that it's really been too much of an issue. Um, I mean, one thing I loved about the trail community was just that everyone is very friendly and open and, um, and yeah. So for me, I don't know that I've personally had too many experiences, um, like that. Although there have been a couple times where I may show up at something and people just have no idea who I am. And then they'll just kind of like, look at you like, who is this dude? Like who's running around in a crop top and a speedo and <laughs> like all of that. And, and then after the race, they're just like, Oh, like you're legit. Do you feel any pressure because of who you are to be an advocate for more diversity in the sport? Sure. Uh, so I don't know that I'd say that I feel the pressure to do it, but I do feel like that is part of the job. Yeah. And how have you actively gone about trying to do that? there are a few different ways that I've been able to do this. Um, one of them is like the gay games will be in Hong Kong in 2022. Um, and so I'm going to that. And part of the excitement behind that is, um, they're adding trail running to the gay games for the first time ever. So it's really cool to just see the group of people that have been interested in that. And I've been talking with them. Um, I raced in Hong Kong earlier this year and, uh, we did some group runs and talks and stuff. And, um, and then I guess really it's just being vocal about things when you see them. And I mean, I'm not afraid to just call people out on stuff and, I don't know. Some people like that. Some people don't, but oh well. Do you have people who reach out 
to you because, I mean, you're competitive in the front of a lot of these races, so you're visible in that way. You've got a good presence on social media where you're open about posting, you know, about, you know, just sort of yourself and your story and your perspective on things. Has, you know, that been helpful for other people who maybe see a bit of themselves in you and aren't sure how to express themselves or even, you know, talk about their identity and how they fit into the sport? Yeah, um, I do get a lot of messages from people, um, and it's really awesome because I always tell people like, "Hey, you know, like I'm always open. Just if you want to talk or chat or whatever, just reach out, and I I do respond." Um, but then it's also funny because by being that open and vocal about it, um, you also get people that will just be like, "Keep politics out of running," or "You should just shut up and run," and and like. Well, if this you're, is who I am, I know I'm like, well, first of all, if you don't like it, then don't follow me. But second, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just living life. Like, how are you going to tell me how to live my life? You know, like when you came out in 2016 or at least came out publicly in 2016, what was that reaction like? Um, so in my head, I thought it was going to be this like, oh my God, like Corey's gay. Like I thought it was going to be a decently bad reaction. Um, and it, was not. It was actually great. Um, a lot of people reached out being like, I'm so proud of you for coming out and thank you for, you know, just living your life and telling your story and you being you. And, um, yeah, so it was, I'm not really sure why I thought it would be such a bad reaction, but it was actually good. When you got that good reaction, did it inject you with some renewed confidence, maybe in people or even just in yourself that, Hey, I am free now to be who I am and I don't have to hide anything and I can be full Corey. Yeah, there is definitely a lot of that um, that went on. And so it's funny because like when I came out, I actually just posted a picture of my fiance at the time, now husband, uh, of us just holding hands. Um, and it was like, I'm engaged to a man. Oh, by the way, I'm gay. And that's just, that's how I did it. And so the funny part about that was it was the week of Valentine's Day. Um, and I was running the Birmingham Marathon that weekend. And I ended up running a nine minute marathon PR that weekend. And everyone's like, see, it's good you came out. You got rid of all that extra weight. Well, it's interesting. Are you familiar with Nikki Hiltz? Mm -hmm. She was just on the US team that went to Doha. And she shared a similar story about when she came out it was a weight off of her shoulders and all of a sudden her performances just started to soar in that situation. It's amazing that whatever it is that we're holding up inside, when we can let it out and just be our full selves, how we can tap into this potential that has always been there, but we knowingly or not have been repressing. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. You know, it, it really is. The other part of your identity is that you're a trail runner from the Midwest, an ultra trail runner from the Midwest. And here we are in California, in Marin County, and I love it here. A lot of people look at California as the hotspot for trail running in the U.S. We've got Western States, which had the endurance challenge this past weekend, Lake Sonoma, a lot of big races. And I feel like the Midwest and the East Coast, they get shit on by a lot of people because it's not California and the bigger races aren't there. When in fact, a lot of some of the classic races in the sport from JFK 50 on the East coast, to you know, ice age in Wisconsin, they, for whatever reason, they get overshadowed these days. What has that been like for you as a trail runner who is from the Midwest, you're still based there and you travel all around the country and the world to compete. Do you ever get questions about that? Do you ever feel bad that your area just doesn't get recognized for its history and the great events and the athletes that come out of it? Yeah, that can be really tough at times. Um, just because like when I was first getting into the sport, um, I was doing it basically from Boulder and then Leadville for a little bit. So I kind of had like that experience of, um, trail running. But then when I moved back, I'm like, oh, okay, there are trails in the Midwest. Like I want to go race all of these things. But then as you're trying to like build a resume and talk to sponsors and stuff, people are just like, oh, like, that's cool that you did Ice Age or you did Kettle Moraine or Tunnel Hill or Hennepin or any of those. They're like, but we're actually more focused on X, Y, Z. And I'm like, yes, but what if you go run extremely fast at some of these other races that are still getting exposure? And they're like, yeah, that's good. But, you know, it wasn't this race, that race or that race. And so um, the Midwest ju just gets forgotten a lot when it comes to even I mean, there are very competitive races out there. There are also some extremely challenging races that are in the Midwest. Um, and yet 
it just doesn't get the attention that it needs. Why do you think that is? Um, I think that there are probably multiple reasons for it. Um, one of them is just that if you have some of these hubs that have, you know, the trail runners and you can, you can create a competitive race, um, say, you know, in San Francisco pretty easily, just because you have a bunch of people here that want to race it. But then because people know it's competitive, you'll also bring other people to fly in. And, um, whereas like in the Midwest, you may have athletes that would run quite well, out in, say, California, but they stay closer to home and race, and then the races just don't end up being as competitive. Do you feel any responsibility to carry the flag for the Midwest as a competitive trail and ultra runner who is based there? Um, I feel like there is a little bit of that that goes on, just trying to, like, legitimize, you know, our trail races and our runners and us, because, I mean, we all, we can compete. You've been involved in this sport now for, I think, the last five years or so, at a pretty high level. How has it evolved from your perspective during that time? Um, hmm. How has the sport evolved? Uh, one thing I'll say, probably, hmm, women and prize money. Um, I will say that races are a lot better about equal prize money for women or acknowledging uh, equal, you know, uh, just top 10 men, top 10 women mm -hmm. or whatever. So I think that's really cool. Um, also with like Western States and their transgender policy. Um, I think that's really cool along with the pregnancy policy that they have. Cause I mean, it's kind of awful that, you know, having a child could potentially keep you from running a race you want to run, um, and you'd lose your tickets. So I'm happy that they've fixed that. And, um, Yeah. It's really interesting that in trail and ultra running, for as small as it is in the greater running sphere, so to speak, that it has been ahead of the curve in those areas in terms of pregnancy policy, transgender policy, where in track and field, it's just a complete freaking disaster mm -hmm. here in the U.S., but also on a global level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I will just say that I feel like we are seeing more like diversity, minority participation, um, in the sport. And I don't know if that's because, you know, there are more people doing it now, or maybe more people are just more vocal. I'd love to bring it back to you to wrap this up, to talk about your progression as an athlete, as you got into the sport, developed an interest for trail and ultra running, showed some potential that you could run fast over these longer distances. How has your training evolved in that time? Yeah, I think that for me, training has in, has evolved um, more with like more focus on the longer runs, um, a lot more, you know, two, two and a half, three hour runs uh, during the week when before, like I had never even run over like 16 miles before I ran my first marathon. Um, so I don't necessarily do it, like as many intervals anymore, um, but I do a lot longer stuff um, and yeah. I mean, when I'm in a solid training block, like I can handle multiple hundred mile weeks in a row, which before I just wasn't able to do. Um, so I am thankful for that. It just take, it's taking a little bit to get back there, but that's okay. And you're working with Jason Coop right now? Yep. And how long have the two of you been working together? Uh, since April. So um, I kind of feel bad for him because it's been like, it went from like, a really solid training block that I had to just getting sick a couple times and then passing out at Broken Arrow. And so I don't really feel like we've been able to, um, just haven't had that consistency yet. Yeah. And you know, that's just, that's part of it. Did you have coaching in your earlier years in the sport or were you just piecing together stuff on your own? Um, so early in the sport, I was actually working with a marathon coach and we were trying to do things more from like a marathon, half marathon background, um, and try to basically just build in longer runs to be able to handle 50 K or 50 miles. Um, and then, yeah, I still, I mean, I still focused on the marathon up until 2016. Um, and then all of a sudden I'm like, you know, like I just really don't enjoy focusing on running a fast, flat marathon. How did things transition from there? Did you continue to work with that coach for a while longer? Did you switch coaches? Did you go to your own for a while? I'd love to understand how things evolve from this marathon plus type of training program to being a little more specific about the trail and ultra training that you needed to do to be successful at these longer races. 
Yeah, so I had that coach for about two years for the marathon stuff, and um, I ran, I think, 226 at Chicago that year, and then that was basically the last race that I had with that coach. Um, I coached myself for the next few months, and that's also the year that I ran 530 at Tunnel Hill, um, basically marathon training, and then just recovered from the marathon and got in, like, one or two more long runs and then ran Tunnel Hill, and then I'm like, okay, like, I need to, I want to run 100, um, I want to do a couple other things, and so at that time, that just wasn't the right coach for me, so I took training into my own hands for about six months and just ran myself into the ground. Um, but I finished my first hundred, finished my first hundred K, like did a lot of things I wanted to do. I just knew that I was not coaching myself in a way that was going to be successful. So then I hired a different coach that is more ultra focused and was with that group for about two years and, um, and enjoyed it. Like I learned a lot in those two years or so, and then finally ended up with Coop. And did you seek him out or did he reach out to you for help? I'd love to understand how that relationship got kickstarted. Yeah, I actually reached out to Coop while I was in Peru um, earlier this year because I was like, you know, I just, I need to switch things up. I need to do something different. And so, um, yeah, I sent him like a message on Facebook and within like probably a half hour, he had already responded. He's like, here's my email. Just, uh, just send me a little bit more information. He's like, I know who you are, but just want a little bit more information and let's set up a time to talk. Um, and so from there I was like, great. And then I just said, here we go. Let's start this thing. You just said how you haven't been able to train super consistently while you've been together because of some of the things that happened earlier this year, but from a greater philosophical perspective, how is his approach different from what you've done in the past? Um, I'd say more emphasis on uh, the longer runs, which I think I've kind of been missing that. Because uh, like before States last year, like my longest run was American River 50 mile, but that was, you know, like April, like early April. And then States was late June. And between there, I think I'd run a 50 K and that was like my second longest run in the buildup. Um, which now it's like, I, I may race a 50 K on Saturday, but still go out and run for two or two and a half hours on Sunday. Um, and just, I have not really been doing, I had not been doing that in the past. Um, but overall he's, he's just a great coach. When did you start coaching athletes yourself? Uh, 26, 2017. And is that something you knew you wanted to do or did you have people approaching you asking for help? Uh, I just had people that were asking me for help. So I was like, okay, sure. Like I can start doing this. And, um, back then I don't necessarily know that I was a great coach. Um, I was still just trying to figure things out and, um, and now I've definitely evolved over the years and, uh, have more experience in just different distances and yeah. Like I went out and ran my first hundred miler just because I had someone that was like, Hey, you know, I've run five K's around marathons. Now I want to run a hundred miler and they signed up for it. And I'm like, I've never coached anyone that's run a hundred. Like I, I don't even know how to do that. So I just went out, signed up for a hundred miler and ran one so I could see what it felt <laughs> like to be a Guinea pig. Mm -hmm. So I was like, so now I can at least, you know, this is what I went through. So maybe your experience might be similar to it. Um, cause yeah, I was like, I have no idea what it's going to feel like to run a hundred miles. In what ways has your coaching philosophy evolved since you got started? Um, I think I would say that I'm probably more about uh, the quality workouts and just a solid long run rather than just some of the other workouts that I've had people doing in the past. Because I was like trying to take a mix from, you know, track and field days along with triathlon days and marathon running and all that and like kind of mix them together. And now I'd say that I'm definitely more like I have a system dialed in. What have you pulled from the different coaches that you've worked with throughout your entire athletic career and been able to apply to the athletes that you're working with today? One thing I think I've learned is if the athlete is not happy, they're not going to run well. Um, and so like, that's one big thing I was just checked to see like how they're doing and, uh, actually want them to leave comments and 
all of that. Whereas before I don't know that I was necessarily as focused on like the comments and I'm like, yes, just did you do the workout or did you not? Like, how did it go? Um, but now I'm like, how, how was your day? Like how, how has your week been? Like, are there things that are stressing you out that I need to know about? Like, um, just really more focusing kind of on the person, I guess. And then adjusting the training to, uh, basically where they are at that point in their week or life or whatever. Has the communication part of it evolved for you over the last few years? Yeah, um, especially like even in my own training, um, I used to be the athlete that like if I saw something on the schedule, I'd just go do it. And then if you'd ask me how, and I'd just be like, oh, it was good. Like that, that used to be the feedback. And now I actually write like, oh, you know, this was a good workout, but at mile like 19, this really hurt or at mile, whatever, like I rolled my ankle here. So I just need to be careful about this for the next couple of days and stuff. Um, and then same with my athletes. They're all great at feedback. Have you had any long held beliefs as an athlete or a coach that have been flipped on their head for whatever reason? Um, hmm. That is a good question. Um, Hmm. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> it's like I, anything that you do differently now that you wouldn't have budged on even a few years ago. Sure. Uh, carb loading for like the marathon and all that stuff. Like that used to be our big thing. Like in college, uh, every Thursday night before a Friday cross country meet, we'd always go get spaghetti and you'd have spaghetti and bread and blah 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 blah. And now I'm like you don't really need to do that. Like you, you can just eat what you want to eat, you know, like. In what ways do you try and further your own education as a coach? Um, I like to read books, just like to read, um, you know, running books are like scientific type books and um, also just try to stay up to date on what's going on. So like your podcast and your page and uh, Ultra and our podcast and those guys, like I just like having the list of things out there of just like what what's really cool for the day. And just, just different resources that you yeah. tap into. Who have been some of the biggest philosophical and technical influences on you as a coach? Um, I really like Jason Coop actually. Um, and it was funny because... I had not read his book before he started coaching me. So that was one of the questions. He's like, have you read any of my books? I'm like, no, I haven't. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it's like, I don't know, should I have read them? And then I got them and have been reading them. And yeah. Um, but Coop, um, Brad Hudson was actually a very interesting coach for a while. So yeah. Still is an interesting coach. Oh yeah. His uh, philosophies are interesting, I think would be a good way to put. And certainly, um, I wouldn't say revolutionary in the marathon, but certainly impactful in this country. He's helped kind of bring to light a lot of what the Italian coaches were doing, you know, many years ago and Kenyan coaches today and really emphasizing the specificity for that event from an intensity and a fueling standpoint. And I think that that is really interesting that you mentioned that because he doesn't coach ultra runners and really hasn't influenced people in that space. But something that Coop definitely does and something that I am really bullish on is the specificity of the event that the athlete is preparing for. And the interesting thing about ultra running versus marathon, I mean, you could have a marathon that's flat and one that's hilly. And yeah, you've got to prepare for the specific demands of the course, but a lot of the programming as far as how much time you're spending at a given intensity and how you're structuring things throughout the training block doesn't change. Whereas in ultra running, if you've got technical trail 50K versus even like a flat 50 miler or a mountainous 100, I mean, they might as well just be different sports. And I think it's super interesting from that perspective. Absolutely. I fully agree with that. Looking ahead toward your own career. You've been in this for five or so years. You're 29 years old. What does the future hold for Corey Walter? Um, I don't know. I have a lot of crazy goals, I think. Um, but for the near future, I think I'd like to focus on getting back into Western States, uh, probably running something at the UTMB stuff. Um, just because it's Western States is awesome. Um, finally running something at UTMB would just be great to go get that experience because I hear about it all the time and I just have never gone. Um, but like overall, like I'd love to potentially get into stuff like Badwater 135 or maybe look at doing a 200 mile race or something. Um, I think it's just, it's very, the thought of going for that long is really exciting. 
I love it because you have such a diversity of interests in terms of the events that you do. I mean, as we talked about earlier, you race often and you've done stuff from, I mean, 226 marathon to some fast 50K and 50 mile to some of the things you're just describing are like long, arduous slogs, maybe on the road or in the woods and in extreme conditions. Where do you see your sweet spot as an athlete or maybe you don't, maybe you just want to explore all these different things and, you know, see what excites you at a given point. Yeah. Um, you know, my sweet spot is probably flat fifties, uh, 50 miles or 50 K. I don't know either or, um, cause I'd still probably say my strongest performance has been tunnel Hill from 2016. Yeah. Um, but I just don't necessarily love racing flat 50 miles all that much anymore. Um, so I don't know. I think I'm still really trying to figure that out just because I really, really, really enjoy some of the mountainous stuff. Um, or I really enjoy technical terrain, which is not something that I necessarily focus on, uh, in training. Aside from putting up competitive results, what legacy do you hope to leave on the sport? Um, or lasting impact. Yeah. You know, honestly more just, just someone that's been out here helping start the conversation of, you know, diversity, inclusion and change and, um, just have, you know, just being that person, I guess. Well, I love what you're all about. I've enjoyed following your career. I wish you the best moving forward. Thanks for making the time to sit down with me for the morning shakeout podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. another episode in the books. Thank you so much for listening in. What did you think? If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on your preferred social media platform and encourage your friends and followers to tune in and subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. A big thank you to Tracksmith for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Tracksmith is a Boston-based running brand led by a group of runners who are dedicated to building classically stylish, cutting-edge running apparel for real-world athletes. Whether you're training through the depths of winter or you need a special race day outfit to help power your next PR, Tracksmith has you covered. I personally own a ton of their gear and I train and race in it all the time, including earlier this month at the New York City Marathon. This Black Friday, November 29th through Cyber Monday, that's December 2nd, you can reap the rewards at tracksmith.com. Spend $125, you'll receive 10% off your next order. Spend $250 to receive 20% off your next order. And spend $500 and you'll get 30% off your next order. You can learn more at tracksmith.com holiday and follow them on Instagram at tracksmithrunning and you can shop at tracksmith.com. A big shout out, as always, to my man, John Summerford at bearsrecords.com. He's my audio ninja for this show, and he makes every episode sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for the editorial assistance and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. I don't have a big team here at The Morning Shakeout, but these three guys play key roles in helping keep this ship afloat. Last thing, if you're digging the podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. And in it, you'll get my weekly take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast.